Listen, uh, you, you, I don't know if, about you, but you kind of get to a point, you know, after you've, after you've gone to the mall like so many times in your life, uh, the best part of going to the mall is sometimes just watching the people walking around. Am I right or am I right? Or, you know, after you've been on an airplane so many times, going to the airport can be, you know, even more exciting than where your destination might be just watching, you know what I mean, what's going on up and down those terminals in the airport as you watch people go by. Have you ever observed that? Everybody ever, like, noticed what's going on with people? Have you ever noticed, maybe you have, that people change their appearance as a result of something that's going on in their life? Come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Changes in hair color or hairstyle or something that goes on, you know, it indicates something that's happened, you know, in their life internally that you didn't see. Now you see it. Maybe, you know, uh, someone's put on, you know, a lot of weight or someone's taken off a lot of weight. Something, some massive change on the outside because of what you might call a life change, you know, something that's happened. Have you ever, uh, maybe you've been, you know, reading something online and then you clicked on that ad showing the arrest photos of somebody famous? Have you ever done that? Right? And suddenly that, you know, that, that glossy, you know, celebrity star model looking person, now you see, like, okay, this is the reality, right? It was somebody that got wrecked by alcohol, or maybe they, they destroyed themselves with drugs. And remember that one time, um, I think, wasn't it Britney Spears? She shaved all the hair off her head. She went on like 5150, like out on the street with an umbrella, like screaming. And, do you remember that? You see, you see, what's on the inside of a person is eventually going to come out. What's invisible is true and real, and eventually it becomes visible. Am I right? You see, the deception is when we compartmentalize stuff. Isn't that right? We separate things. We label different parts of our lives. Well, this over here, this is my professional life. Over here is my personal life. Over here is my spiritual life. You know, we love to label and identify everything and and put everything into a category so we can analyze it. But in doing that, we wind up missing the truth altogether. And the truth is that reality is rooted in the spiritual unseen world. Everything that happens in the spiritual dimension manifests in the physical and in observable ways. There's not, there's not some kind of barrier, you know, between the two. It's not like, you know, the spiritual dimension is a country and the physical material world is a country and there's like a checkpoint, you know, between the two that keeps the two from interacting or influencing each other. And so with that truth in mind, let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning in Matthew Chapter 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemisabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of the love that you have richly poured out on us. We don't deserve it. All we can do is fall on our knees and say, thank you. Thank you for calling us valuable. Thank you for calling us loved. Thank you for the price that was paid. Please keep pouring your love out on us until we are utterly changed by it, until it overflows and we're compelled to give it away to everyone. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, you may be seated. Jesus said, 
I am the light of the world. And every Christmas, we remember the story. We celebrate the story of Christmas, and we do it with lights, don't we, right? Some people still have their Christmas lights up. But we remember the story of the visible, fiery, shining Shekinah glory of God when it appeared and it surrounded the shepherds and when the angels announced the birth of Messiah. And we remember the shining light of that Christmas star that directed the wise men to Jesus. It was light that ushered Jesus into the world. And now a deep darkness has gathered to usher him out. And it was an evidence to the world that something bigger was afoot here. The earth shook, and so did the souls of everyone watching what was happening that day. Crucifixion was humiliating. It was degrading, and it was torturous, and it was shameful. It was like watching one of those those videos out of the Middle East produced by ISIS, and it just leaves you with this dark feeling in the pit of your stomach. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m., but the darkness didn't fall until noon. This was no eclipse because the Passover happens around the full moon, and eclipses only last for a few minutes. This darkness was an external manifestation of a spiritual reality. It was evidence that there was more than just the physical torment happening here to Jesus. Before these hours of darkness, everyone could see the sufferings of Jesus, the the, the illegal trials, the betrayals, the the bought and paid for liars who testified against him, the beatings that he endured, the crown of thorns on his head, all of the whippings, all of it leading up to these fateful hours. But at noon, what was happening spiritually began to manifest physically. And it's recorded that darkness covered the land. There was more going on with Jesus than we could fully understand. This darkness was not an unconnected phenomenon. Because here at the cross is where we see all of our neatly organized ideas and our definitions and our our carefully labeled categories of existence and our, our sanitized stained glass, you know, version of spiritual ideas. They get all messed up here at the cross by the nauseating ugliness of the truth. And here at the cross, in the dimension of the spirit, all of the sins of the human race were being rolled into one place at one time. And for hour after hour, the cumulative wickedness and the immeasurable evil of every single one of us, every person was gathering onto the shoulders of Jesus. And it created a pollution so strong that it became visible to the naked eye. And it says, darkness came over all the land. What is this darkness? The word that was used here is skotos. And it's a word that is used to describe both physical and spiritual darkness. Jesus experienced the rejection of the world. And the light was being crucified. And a tangible darkness suddenly rushed in. And that same word, skotos, is used when describing the divine judgment of wicked souls. 
When Jesus says in Matthew 22, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here in these hours of darkness, Jesus was taking the place of every sinner because otherwise this darkness is what every unrepentant sinner will face and will experience. Eternal darkness, eternal separation from God is the doom of all who reject the gift of the Son of God. And when the final judgments are poured out in the book of Revelation, you find darkness listed among them. Without the light of the world, we are in darkness. When a person goes on long enough rejecting the Lord, he will give them over to their desires and to the consequences of them. When God created the world, it was filled with darkness and chaos and void by the presence of the devil. And scripture explains that God responded to that darkness by speaking his word and revealing himself as light. And the world was dark. But God responded against the darkness as light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Darkness is the absence of light. And when we choose to reject Jesus, we choose darkness. And after a certain point, after warnings, and after putting up roadblocks, God will allow people who ignore and, to, and who reject him to experience the full depth of darkness and the misery that comes with it. I'll never forget a conversation I had with somebody many years ago now in Florida. They looked at me and they said they could no longer be my friend because they said there is a darkness in you. And they were right when they said it. I remember many, uh, not actually many, just like a couple years later, that individual tracked me down, if you remember, tracked me down. I don't even know how they did it. Got in a car, drove all the way here to Yuba City from Florida, walked into the room where I was teaching a Sunday school class, and I reminded them of that conversation. Tears. Oh, I didn't mean it. I said, yes, you did. And you were right. You were right. Because I'd pushed Jesus out and darkness had come and filled my life and my attitudes and my actions. Hear the prophecy of Amos chapter 8. In that day, says the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day. I will turn your celebrations into times of mourning and your singing into weeping. You will wear funeral clothes and shave your heads to show your sorrow as if your only son had died. How very bitter that day will be. Once the light of the world now plunged into spiritual darkness. And here at the cross, the greatest of all miracles is happening. Your sins are being transferred onto Jesus. Here in the darkness, the one who knew no sin, the one who enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father, is giving up everything for you. And his muscles spasm with a pain that cannot find relief except in death. His arms stretch as his shoulders and his elbows dislocate and his lungs begin to fill and his heart is swelling under the demand to push less and less blood through his body. But the deepest of wounds are not in his hands and they're not in his feet. The deepest of wounds cut into his soul as every one of your sins is lifted from your life and put on his. 
words and actions and thoughts so selfish and so dark and shameful that you dare only trust them to Jesus. And here, abandoned and dying on a cross, Jesus takes them from you that you might be saved. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you remember the day that Jesus was baptized? Before he even fully emerged from the water, the words of the Father were heard by everyone who was there. Here is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. God Almighty called him out and approved of him before he ever did one miracle, before he preached one sermon. Remember, remember again at the transfiguration and the miracles. It all must have felt so far away here at the cross, now covered in darkness. And his future glory seemed far away too. There was no relief for his suffering as those seconds drug on into hours, suspended in time, bearing your sins for what must have felt like an eternity. And now here he is, naked and tortured and defenseless, and he is completing the mission that he came for. He's performing the one act that was foretold from the first word in Genesis. But now there's no, there is no approving voice from heaven. There's no Holy Spirit coming like a dove to rest on him, surrounded by enemies, plunged into darkness with the weight of the sins of the human race pressing down on him who knew no sin. And his body was drawing near to death. And after hours of silent suffering, the Lord cries out in the darkness, And you notice what Jesus is not saying here. What he does not say is, Judas, Judas, why did you betray me? Jesus does not say, Peter, oh Peter, why did you deny that you knew me three times? Jesus does not cry out for the names of his disciples or his followers, all who had abandoned him, who ran away in fear. He's not crying out the names of everyone that he helped, all those whose lives were changed by his miracles, the couple at the wedding party. He saved the whole wedding. He turned the water into wine. The the lepers, the blind, the crippled, all the disease that he healed, the thousands who were fed by loaves and fishes, the dead that he raised to life, none of those. It is God he cries for. And as I mentioned last week, your true character is revealed in pain, isn't it? In your worst suffering is where the truth of your character is revealed. And here, with the weight of the sins of the world on him, Jesus, the Lamb of God, flexes his muscles and his shoulders that are now covered in the lash marks and the blood. And he raises himself again with unbelievable effort. And he begins to cry out Psalm 22. 
And he cries out, why? Why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Anybody here? The one who said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. All of us at some point have felt like God was a million miles away. Perhaps you have felt like I did one night years ago in Connecticut, as if God, even if he was sitting right next to me, didn't want to hear from me because of all the ways in which I had offended his grace. Maybe you've experienced moments in your life when even you, when you were doing the right things, no matter how hard you tried, things just got worse, right? You were walking in obedience and boom, all hell breaks loose and one crisis blows up after another crisis after another until it just your whole world looks like it's coming apart and you just wonder, God, where are you? And Jesus cries out in the dark, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was not saying that he was separated from the Trinity. As Jesus was suffering, he was quoting scripture at the cross. You see, at that time, there was no such thing as numbered verses or chapters or of the Bible. The passages in the books were referenced this way, by quoting the first line of it. And Jesus is crying out so that we can hear him tell us that even in the worst possible hell of your existence, the word of God will be a source of hope and strength to you and assurance in the darkness. Thank you, God. Jesus was drawing the attention of everyone there to the words of King David and the first sentence of what we call Psalm 22. Can you imagine the surprise as they remembered the whole of the messianic prophecy contained in Psalm 22 unfolding in front of them at that moment? We don't have time to fully unpack this morning every line of the psalm that Jesus is referencing here. But I I, I want you to look at it this week as you reflect on what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is modeling something for us here. He's modeling for us that we can and we should pray the Psalms. And my experience has told me that you will always find a voice for your soul somewhere in the Psalms. When you're feeling isolated, when you feel alone, like God is far away, these prophetic songs are like a cell phone with speed dial to God, right? And it's just gonna, you're gonna find your connection somewhere here in the Psalms. And the Holy Spirit will show you more about Jesus in them, just as Jesus was showing everyone there his unflagging faith and his fulfillment of every word of the scripture. Do you remember that moment when Jesus went to the synagogue and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah and he opened it up and he read from Isaiah and he stopped and he said, today this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. That is what is happening at the cross. And Jesus is fulfilling all the scriptures. He's showing us how to suffer in the dark. Even when you're doing what's right, but you're being persecuted for it. So let's take a look at Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. Note here that on this day, just as God showed Amos 
It was both day and night at the same time. Darkness from noon to three. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. And the Holy Spirit prophesies through David that his descendant, the Messiah, will not be rescued from this trouble. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death and dogs surround me. Non-Jewish people, people who have no covenant relationship with God are referred to over and over throughout the Old Testament as dogs. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. And this description of a crucifixion was written over a thousand years before Jesus was born. Wrap your head around that one. Verse 17, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It's all happening right there in front of them. And here is where Jesus shows us what to do. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, praise the Lord. Jesus is showing us what to do. When you don't know what to do, when you're hurt, you can still praise the Lord. When you're confused, you can still praise the Lord. When you don't have the answer, you can still Praise the Lord. Why? Because he's still worthy. When you least feel like it, make that praise your loudest. When it looks like all is lost, God is still on the throne. Praise him. When you are in darkness and pain and loss and confusion, Jesus shows us loudly praise him. You know that song that says that we sing, the greater the storm, the louder our song, right? Praise will bring God into your situation. Paul and Silas discovered this truth, didn't they? When they were in a prison, they were in the dark. They discovered they could still praise God in the darkness of a dungeon. And I used to think that God would shake open, you know, that jail to let them out until I read that nobody left the prison that day. What was going on? No one left the prison. God didn't need to let them out. No, God was trying to get in, right? Praise God and watch him rip apart that situation and walk right in. Remember the truth. Verse 24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. 
And Jesus is saying, Abba, I can't see you. Spirit, I can't feel you, but I know you, and this is who you are and who you will be for me and for everyone that I'm bringing with me. You do not turn from the needy. And Jesus' prayer speaks of a profound depth of love, not an absence of it. You are not suffering because God hates you or because God is punishing you. Jesus took all of the punishment for you, and he has not left you. Remember the promise. Let's pick back up at verse 26. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Every parent shout amen. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Praise the Lord. And Jesus was quoting this psalm on the cross. It was a personal coded message to you and to me. He was saying thousands of years later, I saw you. I saw you with me. I saw you gathering into my house. The, the, the children that you are yet unborn are serving me. And for the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. And what was the joy? It was you. You were the joy that helped me to focus, that helped me to stay the course through the worst of my suffering in the darkness. And if there's one thing I know about God, he will be faithful to complete what he started. Give him praise this morning. And the entire Bible is the evidence of that. He began the Bible with the first word telling what he was going to do, and he did it. So when you think that he's left you in a problem, left you in a with things undone, you hold up the word of God and you say, you are a finisher. Everything you begin, you finish. And when you walk in the darkness, remember the glory set before you. Remember what is coming at the end. Every word you have spoken will come to pass, so let it be done. It has been promised. It will be fulfilled. Not one dot of an I, not a cross of a T will be erased until all has been accomplished. What did God create this universe with? Somebody say it. The Word. That's right. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. Remember how he responded when that Roman centurion asked him to heal his servant. And Jesus said, yes, I'll come. But that soldier said, you just speak the Word, and it'll be done. And what did he defeat the temptations of Satan with in the wilderness? It is written. Why do we keep begging God over and over for things when he, what he wants to give you is his word? He made the universe with his word. Put it in your spirit. And that is everything that you need. Jesus tell, is telling you at the worst possible moments of life, the word of God will sustain you. 
because all things were made through the word. Get the word in your spirit. It's everything you need. Everything living begins in the dark. The creation of the universe began in the darkness of void. Babies are conceived in the dark of a womb. Plants sprout from seeds under the darkness of soil. And our salvation began in the dark. Jesus was saving my soul there in the dark. And afterwards, when they laid the body of the Son of God in a dark tomb, there was a three-day gestation, and then the light came back and was offered to us. And Jesus said in John chapter 9, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. The illegal trials and the beatings and the crown of thorns and the whipping and the the crucifixion, it all happened in the light. But now salvation was coming in the dark. And the darkness is a time when all productivity, when all of the efforts of man cease. And this darkness is a reminder to all of us, no one can work for his salvation. No one can earn it. Jesus alone was bearing your sin in the darkness while everything else came to a standstill. Give him praise. This was happening simultaneously, by the way, with the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that were happening in corrupt Herod's temple, right? And that also had to stop in the thick blackness, showing the only acceptable sacrifice to God was the one that Jesus was giving. The business of all the Passover sacrifices ceased in the dark. You can't work for your salvation. You cannot do one thing to earn your salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't give enough money. At the cross, you find yourself in the dark, and you can't move. And your salvation was born there in the dark. You need to rest in what Jesus has done for you. Darkness is not for working. And Jesus lifts himself up on the cross again to say, it is finished. Look at the last line of Psalm 22. It says, it will be completed. What a contrast as Jesus lifts himself up to say, I've done it. It is finished. Jesus is saying, I'm Messiah right there from the cross. He has done it. And when he said the words, it is finished, the light returned. And the darkness was gone. And with it, he destroyed our darkness. But Jesus did not immediately die. After he said the words, it is finished. No, he had something else to say. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, in order for the Son of God, the Messiah of the world to die, he couldn't just die because he was wounded. He is life. Remember when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus was not merely alive. He is life itself. You can't kill life. Just to kill Jesus' body wouldn't be enough to send him to a grave. He had to give his permission. He had to willingly let go of his life to lose it on purpose for a purpose. And these last words of Jesus show that he was not only just enough of a sacrifice for our sins, but that he was more than enough. 
He didn't die just as soon as the sacrifice was satisfied. He still had command over his body and over his breath and his life, and he still had to release permission before he died. What Jesus gave was more than sufficient to save you forever. All the, come on, give him praise this morning. All the combined sins of the world that were known and unknown, all the sins that could ever have been committed were paid for and more than paid for. So stand and give God praise in his house this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, praise your king.